Well, good morning. It's always a pleasure for me to be able to uh, have the opportunity to stand before you and uh, proclaim God's Word. And uh, we've had church already this morning, uh, singing praises to God, singing together. Um, kind of makes me want to charge hell with a squirt gun, but uh, uh, I'm excited to uh, preach to you this morning. Someone had asked me, said, well, Pete, what are you preaching on? And I said, well, if I had foreseen the uh, where the weather was going to be with the, uh, with the heat and the fire and the smoke and the cottonwood, I would have preached on hell. But uh, <laughs> praise God, we have a little respite in here in this cool building this morning. And uh, hopefully uh, you'll be able to sustain uh, yourselves as I preach. I'm not going to promise I won't go long. My plan is not to go long. Uh, but my plan is for us this morning to see something of God's Word that's going to challenge you, encourage you, and to bless you this morning. And we celebrate being in the Lord's house. We celebrate the Lord Jesus Christ. Most of the time, we just celebrate on Sundays. And speaking of celebrations, last Thursday, July 4th, 2019, we celebrated 243 years of our nation's independence from Great Britain. None of us in this room were there to witness uh, everything that happened. Uh, We didn't see uh, the things that happened in people's lives, the persecution that these 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence went through, and we don't understand the cost of our freedom today. We, the only way that we can get a, a grasp on that is to look at the facts of history what happened? And we have to look back in textbooks. We, we have to, to study that to understand it because what happened back then on July 2nd actually was when uh, the First Continental Congress said, we're going to proclaim our independence from Great Britain. July 2nd was a day that 56 men signed the death warrant when they signed the bottom of that Declaration of Independence. And today, some of us may not celebrate the 4th of July because to us it really has no deep meaning. Um, Perhaps we look at our present situation, the situation of our nation, and we say, well, what has that done, that declaration, what has that done for me personally, what has that done for our nation as a whole? So we value and place emphasis on how we celebrated the 4th of July on our experience of that day of declaration On uh, July 2nd of 17, or July 3rd, 1776, John Adams, a name that you're probably all familiar with, was one of those 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence. The founding fathers, all the work they put into this and the sacrifices they knew they would make, they thought for sure that every generation, generation following them would celebrate the Day of Independence with great fervor. And they would not forget the cost for the freedom that we have. In a letter that he wrote to his wife, dated July 3rd, 1776, John Adam penned these words. He said, The second day of July, 1776, will be the most memorial, epic event in the history of America. I am apt to believe that it will be celebrated by succeeding generations as the great anniversary festival. It ought to be commemorated as the day of deliverance by solemn acts of devotion 
to God Almighty. It ought to be solemnized with pomp and parade, with shows, games, sports, guns, bells, bonfires, and illuminations from one end of this continent to the other, from this time forward forevermore. You will thank me transported with enthusiasm, but I am not. I am well aware of the toil and blood and treasure that it will cost us to maintain this declaration and support and defend these states. Yet through all the gloom, I can see the rays of ravishing light and glory. I can see that the end is more than worth all the means, and that posterity will triumph in that day's transaction. Even although we should rue it, which I trust in God, we shall not. Those 56 men signed that, knowing what would happen if the British caught up with them, and the British did catch up with several of them. And several of them died, some of them lost everything they had. At the bottom of that declaration, to make it a more solemn act and an oath, they penned these words, and then they signed it. For the support of this declaration, with firm reliance on the protection of the divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. You know, not just the signers of the declaration, but all those men and women, boys and girls who sacrificed so that today we would have the freedom that we have as Americans. It was a great cost indeed for our freedom, but at the same time, a great cause for celebration. But yet we don't have that same fervor. We don't have that same enthusiastic spirit about celebrating the 4th of July. Matter of fact, some of us don't have that same enthusiasm celebrating any holiday. We spend time with family and friends, which is good. But a true cause for celebration is because something has come to an end, and it also symbolizes that something new is beginning with great promise for the future. The bad thing about celebrations is celebrations are fleeting They don't last. That's why we have so many of them. I can recall celebrations that we used to have, and perhaps if you have kids, you've done the same thing. We would celebrate our children's birthday, and we would go to great lengths. We didn't have a lot of money, but we would go to great lengths to plan it out. My wife, who was a planner, would plan it out. And uh, I like creating new sort of games. And so uh, for you folks in the youth group, if you're wondering where... Uh, my games of death came from. They were all experimented on my kids, like Eric and Katie. And so we had planned these great birthday parties, not lavish in the, in the sense of money, but we had to spend some time. We had to spend some money. We had to uh, spend some time thinking about what we would do. So I would get, uh, at the time I was a football coach, and I would get all the football um, practice dummies over to the house. We lived across the street from the church. We had a sloping hill in our backyard, and I would stretch out about... 60 to 70 feet of black visqueen, and I would soap it up and lather it up with soap and put a sprinkler on it. It'd be running, and we'd have all these obstacles, and I would call it the obstacle course of death. And so 15 or 16 junior hires would be trying to, and I'd be timing them because we're competitive in the Johnson family. We'd be, we'd be timing so you could get through the course the fastest without getting a braze, without getting soap in your eyes and your mouth, without... Uh, dislocating a shoulder or a knee, and we would present awards. One time we had this uh, Olympic theme, and we had all these games that we would do, and uh, whoever won 
came in second and third, we would do the Olympic ring ceremony where we'd give medals and bestow medals upon them. We, we celebrated. When the day was over, it was over. And we don't really, we can't really feel and be moved by those same emotions that we had on those days because we're so far removed from it. We can, we can remember that and we can have pleasant thoughts about that. It's the same thing in our lives. So you get that new job. You say, man, I just got a, a promotion. Let's celebrate. And we celebrate. And then a year and a half later, we, we lose that job. Or we just got this boat I've been wanting. Man, I got this boat. Let's celebrate. Woo! Two years later, that boat sits more than it floats, and it costs you more money than the enjoyment that you get out of it. Some of your wives are nudging your husbands. I see that in there. Or we just get that new house. We celebrate getting that new house, but then a year and a half later, we lose it because we lost the job that we had just celebrated. And we just had that precious baby, and we celebrate the birth of that child. But some of you younger folks, not to discourage you, but by the time that boy or girl reaches 21... They probably have broken your heart. They've um, disobeyed you. They've caused you grief. And sometimes you're thinking, they're too much sugar for a dime. And what that means is they're more trouble than they're worth. <laughs> so then, if celebratings are fleeting, what, what do we celebrate? We want to celebrate something. We are designed to celebrate something. But then, if celebrations are fleeting, then what do we celebrate? Well, there's nothing wrong with celebrating even those things that we just talked about. Ecclesiastes says this in Ecclesiastes 3, 4. says that there's a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance. It's okay to celebrate those things. It's okay to celebrate those life accomplishments. And also in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, says this, Also that everyone should eat and drink, take pleasure in all his toil, This is God's gift to man. But in this world that we live in, in the world that you are living in right now as you sit in this seat, you may say to yourself, well, Pete, I don't really have much to celebrate. I really don't have a cause to celebrate because if you just knew what was going on in my life right now, you would probably agree with me that I have no cause for celebration. But... I'm here to tell you this morning, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you have been regenerated, if you are born again, you have cause for celebration. And the reason we tend not to celebrate what we're fixing to talk about is because we don't think about it. It's so far removed from us that day that we celebrate Easter on that we forget the power that was involved. We forget the cost that was involved. We forget the planning that was involved all for you, all for me, who did not deserve any of it. I have a question for you this morning. It's a question for myself as well as I studied this. Are you tired, Christian, of living a life where you're walking around with an upside-down smile, where you have only superficial joy, situational happiness, and short-lived contentment? I'd like for you to open up your Bibles this morning to Ephesians chapter 2. Dwayne Bacher's smiling. That's one of his favorite books in the whole New Testament. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 this morning. And then this, the Apostle Paul was writing to these believers at the church at Ephesus. This is also a circular letter that was probably sent to other churches. 
In chapter 1 of Ephesians, Paul, who is writing from prison, now you would think that somebody writing you a letter from prison, you wouldn't get much joy or encouragement out of unless they were getting set free. Paul was not getting set free. But Paul was writing a letter to these believers in his state, in prison, for the gospel of Christ, to encourage and say, look, you have cause to celebrate just as I, Paul, have cause to celebrate. In chapter 1, Paul sits down these truths that we have to understand as believers. One, that God has blessed us with Jesus Christ, who's the author and finisher of our salvation, and He is the only way to heaven, the only means to salvation. And being born again, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which means that if I'm born again and I'm sitting here this morning, I cannot lose my salvation. That just in itself is something to celebrate. Also that God now, if we're truly born again, does not see us as vile, wicked sinners, rebels against God. He sees us now through the righteousness of His Son. And that same power that resurrected Christ from the dead, if you are born again this morning, worked in you to do that spiritual CPR to bring you from death to life. Now, those things, some of us in this room may get excited about that. Some of us go, well, yeah, I know that, but I just don't really get excited about that. Why don't we get excited about that? I want to pray, then we're going to look in God's Word and see there's four things in Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 3 that the Apostle Paul says that we have reason to celebrate over because we have been delivered from these four things. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the opportunity to preach. I pray, Heavenly Father God, that now that you would remove me, I pray, God, you'll speak through me and to me as well, God, as we open your Word. I pray, Father God, that the Holy Spirit would work in hearts. Lord, help us to see that we do have cause for celebration this morning. If we're Christians, no matter what's going on in our life right now, no matter how bad it may be, no matter how bad we may feel, it may seem like we have no light at the end of the tunnel on this earth, but God, we do have hope. We do have cause to celebrate, and we need to practice celebrating what you've done for us. We ask these things in Christ's precious name. Amen. So let's read Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. The Apostle Paul pins this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of of wrath like the rest of mankind. So the first thing that we see here that we need to celebrate if we're a Christian this morning being delivered from is our our past spiritual condition. He says, and you were dead. So you wonder, well, Paul, why did you use the word dead? I'm not a linguist, but I'm pretty sure that the word dead translates into any language dead. Yeah? Yeah? And Paul did not use this to describe um, 
or refer to this as a figure of speech as in the parable of the, par- of the particle son when he said, this is my son who was dead. Paul speaks about this as this is a factual condition that anybody outside of Christ who have not been born again is in. And what's interesting, he uses the word dead. He says, you're dead in your trespasses and sins. Notice that he does not say you were sick in your trespasses and sin. He didn't say that you were wayward in your trespasses and sins. He didn't say that you were confused in your trespasses. He said you were dead. So Paul used the word dead here because all of us can relate to death. Everybody in this room pretty much has probably seen death. Death comes to us all. The Bible says, appointed a man wants to die. After this, the judgment. And so Paul used this because there's some characteristics about a dead man that we all understand. One, a dead man doesn't hear. Picture a man laying in his coffin. You can scream at the top of your voice to him, and he won't hear you. You can whisper in his ear, I love you. He can't hear you. You can, you can holler, fire, watch out. He doesn't hear you, and there's no response because he can't hear you. Secondly, a dead man doesn't feel. You can, you can hug a dead man. You can squeeze a dead man's hand. You can even softly kiss a dead man on his cheek, but he, he doesn't feel that. He's not going to respond to that. A dead man is powerless. If rigor mortis is not set in, you could pick his arm up and it just rots back down. He is powerless to change the state that he finds himself in. He can do nothing for himself. He cannot do anything for himself or anyone else. And a dead man has no fellowship with the living. A dead man, because of his condition, has no desire to be around living people. And vice versa, living people really don't want to be around dead people. And a dead man is just that. He's dead. Nothing he can do for himself or anyone else. You know, a spiritual dead man is in the same predicament. A person who is spiritually dead is a person who has never accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. If you're here this morning, you are spiritually dead. And this is the characteristics of your deadness. You're unable to hear. A lost person is unable to hear the gospel. Think about that. How many times have we have lost loved ones that hear the same gospel that you heard, but yet it's like pouring water off a duck's back? They don't hear it. They don't respond to it. A spiritual dead person is unable to see. Just like that dead person in the coffin, you could put in front of him the most beautiful painting ever painted by the most, a most magnificent artist, and he won't see it. He won't appreciate it. It's the same thing with a spiritual man. You can set Jesus Christ in front of him, and he doesn't see that. Unable to feel. A lost person is unable to feel the presence and the power of God working in their lives because they're dead. And a spiritually dead person is totally powerless to change anything in their life having to do with their spiritual condition. You cannot do CPR on yourself to bring yourself into life, spiritually speaking. And 
The lost man, the person who is dead spiritually, has no fellowship with believers. They have nothing in common with a born-again person. To them, everything that you believe as a believer is foolishness. It's a myth. It's a fairy tale. You know, and it, in, in regards to spiritual deadness, it makes no difference if you're the sweetest old lady who passes out cookies to kids on the street or you're the vilest, wicked criminal that's locked up in jail. You're still just as spiritually dead. And so why were we spiritually dead? Well, we read it, Paul said that you were dead because of your trespasses and sin. And they're yours. They're not somebody else's, even though because one man sinned, sin entered into the world, but yet we can't blame everything on great-grandpappy Adam, right? It's our sin. It's our transpass. Our transpass. Help me out with that. Trans- yeah, there you go. Thank you. Okay. Trespass is right here, written down. Pete, read your manuscript. Uh, so what is a, why does Paul use these two words, trespass and sin? Trespass has that meaning of a violation of a definite law. They say that you see a no trespassing sign on a hike up Alaska, but you go past it anyway. That's, that's a transgression because you've trespassed a known law. Or... How about if we just shuck it down to the cob here and say, Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Shalt not covet. Have no other gods before me. That probably hits home a little bit because that's not all the Ten Commandments, but I'm sure that those I just spilled out, every single one of us has violated at least one. So we have violated God's known law. The word sins has the connotation of missing the mark, the standard that is set of being righteousness, uh, having righteousness and being holy. The Bible says that we're to be holy because God is holy. But see, we can't, we can't meet that standard. Remember, Jesus said, he said, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And the Pharisees' righteousness were their own self-righteousness. How, what a confusing statement, right? These guys have no righteousness, but what Jesus was saying is you have no righteousness either. Human beings violate both trespasses and sins. Passive and active way of how we do wrong, or I should say, of how we sin. John Stott said it this way. He said, before God, we are both rebels and failures. As a result, we are alienated from the life of God. So before you were born again, dear beloved, you were dead. Dead as a doorknob. The second thing we need to celebrate being forgiven for is our past spiritual commitments. Because when you were dead in your trespasses and sin, you were not committed to Christ. Your commitments lied elsewhere. And where might those commitments lie? Well, he tells us this. Look at the rest of verse 2. It says, You are dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world and following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Because we were not committed to Christ, we were committed elsewhere. We were committed to following the course of this world. What is the course of this world? Well, the course of the, this world and its values... It's theology, and yes, it's religion, all man-based, 
all about me based. And you want to find a dead man, look where other dead men are. Remember Mark chapter 5, Mark gives us the uh, story of the man who was possessed with a thousand demons. And the Bible says that he lived among the tombs. This man was also dead in his trespasses and sin, and that's where he wanted to hang out with other dead people. The course of this world is paved with fool's gold. And there's a lot of people chasing after fool's gold. Jesus said this. He said, For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter it are many. Following the course of this world, it offers a lot of things, but it's things that are void of God. It has semblances of God, has semblances of religion, but it's void of God. Back before you were born again, you loved, but you did not love like Christ loved. You gave, but you didn't give like God gives. God gave His Son, right? And you thought, but you didn't think with the mind of Christ that was, you were incapable. You might have been religious, uh, but your religion was vain. It was void of the truth. You depended on your values. You depended on the world's theology, and you depended on your religion But at the same time, you really really didn't believe that it would do anything for you. Because you were committed to the course of this world, guess what? You were committed to this world's high priest who was Satan himself. Oh, Pete, I, I was never a worshiper of Satan. Well, let's see what God's Word says. Paul said in Corinthians 4, 4, in regards to Satan and unbelievers, he said, in their case, the God of this world, and he's talking about Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said this. He said, There are none as blind as the dead. Jesus also referred to Satan in John 14. He said, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. In John 8, 44, Jesus said this about Satan and those people who are unregenerate. He said this, You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. 1 John 3, 8, John said this, Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So we, we need to recognize and really embrace that, that man, we were, we were dead. And because we were dead in our trespass and sin, we were committed to the world. And we just read we were committed to following Satan. And you say, well, I, I never went to a, the Church of Satan in California, Anton LaVain. I've never read any of his books, never listened to his, uh, his uh, blogs or anything like that. But you didn't have to do that actively because you were doing that because of the condition that you were in. The third thing, as Christians, we need to really grasp hold of to be able to celebrate is we've been delivered from our past spiritual cravings. In verse 3, he says, among who we once lived... 
We once lived with those other dead men. We once lived with those sons of disobedience. And as we lived with them, how did we live? He says, we lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. Before you came to Christ, what did you crave? What, what did you seek after? What satisfied what you were looking for? What, what did you think about? Paul, in referencing the passions of the flesh, is not talking about here just sexual immorality. Because the first thing that we do when we hear that, we go, oh, he's talking about sexual immorality because we equate the two things, right? Passions of the flesh, sexually immoral people. Well, there's a lot more to that. Because you may say, well... I never had problems with pornography. I never had problems with that stuff like that. So I must have not have been as bad as what you say I was. Well, here's what Paul says about us in Galatians chapter 5. Because the passions of the flesh are so much more than just the physical aspect of sexual morality. He says, now the works of the flesh are evident. And guess what? That word evident, you know what it means in the Greek? It means evident. It means everybody can see it. So everybody can see these. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. You got, okay, so far, so good. Enmity, okay. Strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have been crucified, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So if you are born again this morning, you can celebrate that all that has been crucified on the cross with Jesus. You do not have to submit to sin. You have the power because of the power of Christ living in you to say, no, I'm not going to do that. But what we do, though, we keep feeding the flesh. Stop feeding a dead man. Stop trying to resuscitate the dead man. How do we do that? When we put ourselves in situations where we feed the flesh, what are we watching on TV? What are we looking at on YouTube? Uh, What are we talking about on the Internet? All those things, beloved, we feed the flesh. And what we're trying to do, we're trying to, instead of celebrating what we used to be, we're trying to resuscitate that dead man. The fourth thing that we should celebrate this morning is, to me, the most exciting thing. The other three are super exciting, but this is more exciting because because of where we're at, we're in a situation now that we're in trouble. And what kind of trouble? The end of verse 3. Because we hung out with those people, because we were dead, because we were committed to the world and to Satan, it says, and we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So what is the wrath of God? It's not like, it's not like man's wrath. It's not anger. It's not malice. It's not revengeful. God's wrath is his reaction as a righteous, holy God to sin. Because God's holy, no unholy thing, no unholy thought, no unholy action can be in his presence. 
can dwell with him. Because of our nature, like a duck takes the water, we take the sin, do we not? It's in our DNA. Even if you're born again, you have to fight that flesh. You have to, Jeff talked about that last week. It's a battle. We're born into sin. You don't have to sin to become a sinner. You're born a sinner. The psalmist wrote this. He said, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. You didn't have to steal to become a thief. You didn't have to kill to become a murderer. You were born into it. You were born a sinner with no hope, separated from God. And thus the wrath of God was coming upon you. Romans chapter 1, verse 18, Paul said, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Once again, that word all in the Greek translated as all. So there we were. We walked as rebels against God because we transgressed his law and we walking around as failures because we could not meet the standard that he had set for man to enter in to his holy heaven. And this is where it gets really exciting. And we could probably stop here in verse 4. There's two words that contrast what we used to be. But God. Woo! That'll get you excited if you just stop and think about it. This is what you were like. This was your destination, but God came in. God sent his only son to be sin who knew no sin, that you and I might become the righteousness of God. Why on God's green earth would he want to do anything for a rebel and a failure? Paul says, because of the pleasure of his good will. Man, that's exciting. What I want to do now as we get ready to close out, I want us to read together aloud verses 4 through 10. You go, that's weird, Pete. Well, I do a lot of weird things, so this won't be the last. But I think as we read together, because the spoken word of God is so powerful. Remember when Jesus was tempted, what did he use? The spoken word of God. And we don't realize how powerful the spoken word of God is. We should celebrate that as well. So I want us to read aloud the rest of this text, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Beloved, this morning, we are not condemned. If you're a believer this morning, you are not condemned. And what a thing to celebrate, not just on Sundays. It's 
So how do I do this? How, you may say, and Pete, I want to have that excitement. I want to actually feel a celebration that will move me, that will motivate me, something that will last, something that other people will see inside me and say, what's going on in your life that you can share the gospel? Well, the Apostle Paul stated this in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. He said, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Okay, well, what does that mean? Here's what this means. If you're born again this morning, your eternal soul has been claimed by Christ. It's going to live forever in glory with God. Our bodies, this temple of flesh that we live in, not so much. The Apostle Paul said that he had to die daily. He said, Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this flesh? That's us, right? So how can I be excited like the Apostle Paul in prison, writing a letter to people? He's on his way to be beheaded, but saying, Look, rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. How can I have that? I've got to renew my mind. And I could stop there, but then I, I, would, I would be... Uh, give, putting you at a disadvantage, so how do you renew your mind? Well, we have to fight against our minds. We have to fight against our flesh. So how do we do that? Paul, once again, this has been a day all about Paul. He says in Philippians, he says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence... If there is anything worthy of praise, think about these. So how do I renew my mind? Well, Paul is telling us all of these descriptors, guess what they describe? They describe the Word of God. There's nothing else that you can use to regenerate your mind. The washing of the Word over you, staying in it, but you have to practice doing it. I remember when I first went in the military... Back where we were from, we didn't wear seatbelts, didn't need them. We'd have 16 kids in a uh, uh, pickup truck, and none of them had seatbelts on. Uh, it's just something you don't do. So I had to become accustomed to putting my seatbelt on. I had to make it a habit. So every time I drive into the installation, you got to buckle up. you got to buckle up. Now, because I practice that, it's just second nature. I don't even think about it. I just do it. That's what we have to be in regards to getting in God's Word. It's going to become second nature that we have to do it on a daily basis. Because if we don't, everything that's going around the world will just suck you in. And instead of thinking on things that are pure and lovely and just and pure and righteous, we think about everything that's going on in the world. We think about everything that's going on in our lives. And there's no room up there for the Word to wash and regenerate us and help us to be excited. And when we become really excited about what God has done for us, because we've just looked at the mirror of what we were like, what God said we were like before our present situation, if we practice renewing our mind on a daily basis, we can become so excited that this thing just burst out of us and people want to know, why are you so excited? Why do you celebrate? Why do you have joy? It's because, beloved, of what Christ did for us, what we've been forgiven of. Now, perhaps this morning, you're sitting here, and you've never been born again. You go, all this is foreign to me, but uh, the Word of God has permeated your heart. The Spirit of God is starting to work up in you, and you're going, 
wow, I'm in bad shape. Because of what God's word says is true, and it is, then I'm a rebel toward God. I have no hope for my future. My future will be in hell. And God sees me as a vile, wicked, rebellious failure. This morning, if the Spirit of God is working in your heart, you're starting to see that. That's nothing that, that I've said. That's the power of the Word of God speaking to your heart. And God's Word says that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So this morning, the Holy Spirit is, is wooing you and calling you to Himself. Don't walk out of this building before you grab hold of somebody and say, Hey, just like that Philippian jailer, what must I do to be saved? 